0: Welcome to the Movement Church podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. What's up, team? Hey, my name's Don. Welcome this morning. If you guys don't know me, uh, I am officially the tallest attendee here at Movement And what that does is entitle me to get up and speak to you from time to time. So all I have to do is look uh, down at Mark and say, hey, I want to teach. And here I go. Uh, If you are a first-timer and you might be taller than me, then I do want to give you a shot at the title so we can talk after service and uh, duel it out. Thank you guys for coming here this morning. Uh, So Mark asked me to kick off the summer series of Exodus today. Um, Intro uh, Moses specifically in that story Um, Now, you may recall last year I did a similar series on Moses, and we talked about obedience versus excuses and how we should respond when God calls us. I said obedience, by the way, is the right answer. Um, So this year he asked me to do a similar message on Moses. So immediately, I resigned to the fact that Mark thinks I am a one-hit wonder, so that's fantastic. At 30 years old, I've joined the ranks of folks like Chambawamba, the Baja men, and whoever wrote the Macarena, which... Mark knows, and I believe that's entirely too much information about that song already. Uh, Then I got a little paranoid and said, crap, man, maybe Mark wants me, is he trying to tell me something? Do I have a Moses-type problem? Do I always pick excuses, and am I always screwing up? Is this something that God wants me to hear? Is this a big conspiracy between Mark, God, my wife, and I think you guys are all in on it? I mean, these are the paranoid thoughts of a broken, sinful man, my friends. All right, let's dig into this. So here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about screwing up and messing up today and how God can use us despite our screw-ups. So do you guys ever feel like you've screwed up, that potentially you've messed up too much, that God can't use you, um, that he doesn't care about you, or maybe he does care about you, maybe he does love you, but you've you've made a pretty big screw-up. You've screwed up in your life and God had to pass you by, that you've missed your opportunity to be used. And I have seasons of feeling that way too. I feel like I've messed up. I've screwed up. I'm in a desert sometimes, that I'm in the wilderness, and that I've strayed completely off path from where God wants to have me. And then I remind myself of some of these stories in the Bible and uh, some of the promises that God's made to me, and it helps me, and it reminds me that God's not done with us, that despite the fact that I screw up, that he still wants to use me and that he can still use me and weave my story for greatness. The truth of the matter is God's using us in spite of our screw-ups. He can and still wants to use us for great things, even in the midst of the trials that we're facing. And I guess the one good thing about screwing up is that it allows us to realize that our agenda for ourselves is flawed. And what that does is give give God the opportunity to come in, rescue us, restore us, and redeem us. And it reminds us, and he reminds us, that his ways are better than our ways, his thoughts are better than our thoughts, and his plans for us are better than our plans are for ourselves. We see a lot of screw-ups in the Bible. We've spent some time in the last series looking at some screw-ups, we're going to continue uh, that cadence here with Moses. And before I set up and talk about Moses, I want to look at the importance of what the kind of weight that he brings uh, from a redemption aspect and kind of set up Exodus for our summer series. So bear with me for a sec. So Exodus is a continuation of the narrative of God, right? We see it's a second book in the Bible. We start out with Genesis, and we have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and how perfect everything is, um, the, the relationship that God has with his people. And then it kind of goes down from there. We see, you know, the fall. We see um, Cain killing Abel. We see Noah or, uh, God wiping out his people in the flood with Noah. And here we introduce a man named Abram, Abram that God later named Abraham to redeem this entire story. And he tells Abraham early on in Genesis, he foreshadows a covenant that he's going to make with him and says, Hey, I am going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your descendants huge. He says specifically, I will, make you, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And he continues on and says, he will multiply his descendants beyond number, more than the stars in the sky, more than the sands in the seashore. And this was a man who didn't have his first kid until he was 100 years old. But that covenant is so huge. Mark and Sarah have talked about this before, but basically this was God saying, hey, I am gonna make you a great nation. I'm gonna make th- your descendants, uh, I'm gonna make you have a lot of descendants and I'm gonna bless every family on earth. And that's a one-sided deal. It wasn't a contract. Normally in a contract you have one person saying, "I'll do this, if you do this," the other person says, "Great, I'll do this if you do that." God's saying, "I'm going to do this regardless to you, Abraham, and I'm going to bless every uh, family on earth." And the good news is is that we belong to that promise, and we can uh, be included in that promise. He ultimately fulfills that with, re- with the return of Jesus to bless us, rescue us and restore us. Here's what it says in Galatians chapter three, verse 28 and 29. He says, "For we are all one in Christ Jesus." And now that we belong to Christ, we are the true children of Abraham. We are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to us. So, let's get back to Exodus. Exodus is the continuation of that story, and the overall theme is the fulfillments of making Abraham's descendants great, a great nation. And it documents the trials, experiences, and the journey of those early descendants. So chapter 1 begins talking about Jacob, who is Abraham's grandson. Uh, God renamed Jacob Israel early on in Genesis. That's all, how we have the nation of Israel. And he makes the descendants great. So uh, Jacob's, son, Jacob's sons just multiply intensely. In fact, they do so so much that it intimidates the Pharaoh. Uh, and he enslaves them. So by the time that they're later delivered from Egypt, they're over, I think, 700,000 men. So these guys went all Duggar crazy on multiplying. Very poor timing on that joke, but I read it before I learned about all that news, and I'm going to keep it. Uh, so the Pharaoh enslaved them, and, and this is where I want to pick up the story. So join me in Exodus chapter 1, verse 11. It's on page 44 in the Bibles, underneath your chairs. And here's where we'll pick it up. All right, so it says, "'So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. "'They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, "'hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. "'They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramses "'as supply centers for the king. "'But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, "'the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, "'and the more alarmed the Egyptians became.' So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in their demands. So Pharaoh wanted to oppress the Israelites and the Hebrew people. Uh, In fact, he tried to kill every Hebrew boy at birth. And when the midwives pushed back on that, he said, hey, okay, that's fine. Throw them all in the river when they're born. I want to oppress the current people. I want to enslave them. And I want to prevent any uprising opportunity in the future. So we're going to kill every young man. And here's where we introduce Moses finally. So there was a Hebrew woman, had a boy, and said, hey, I cannot throw this guy into the Nile River. He's meant for something greater. So he put him in a basket. She put him in a basket and floated him down the Nile River, uh, hoping for a brighter future for him. And he found one. So Pharaoh's daughter actually was out by the riverbed with her girlfriends, grilling and chilling, and she sees this little baby, and she brings him up, has her girls go get him, and she loves him. She falls in love with him and decides to adopt him. So we have this little Hebrew boy, Moses, who grew up in Pharaoh's household. Imagine what that looks like. Probably had access to the best education money could buy, probably the best food that anyone could make, um, the best training as a leader and a warrior. And he stayed in that household till he was 40 years old. Now we're going to switch over to, or we're going to continue the story and look at chapter 2, verse 11. So skip with me. Page 45, I think we're at now. No, we're still 44. It says, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. So I'm just going to pause right there. He knew that he was uh, of a Hebrew descent. He knew that he was adopted, and he, it says right here that he has a heart for his people. So it wasn't that he was adopted. He thought he was Egyptian. I'm not sure when that took place. We were watching the Moses story on Disney, and he had he was tripping on something and seeing hieroglyphics in a weird way to learn that he was uh, he was actually a Hebrew. It was very strange. I don't know if that's actually how it went down. I think Walt got it wrong on that one, but Anyway, he identified with his people. And if we continue, it says, after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and he hid the body in the sand. So I can see, we have these great Hollywood movies. There There's a Charleston Heston movie. Um, then the Exodus Gods and Kings came out. I can understand how this is a very intense and dramatic story. You had this covenant. You had this people that they were enslaved. And then you have this Hebrew boy that infiltrated the enemy and he's gonna lead his people out of uh, egypt and he's going to be a rescuer and a deliverer and moses thought he was too he thought he he bought into this story so uh in acts chapter 7 verse 25 which is basically a cliff notes version of exodus it says for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that god would deliver them by his hand but the truth is they didn't understand We're going to keep going here in verse 13 of chapter 2. It says, The next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Basically saying, hey, dude, I don't know who you think you are. I'm over here enslaved while you're over there being fed grapes, while you're being... Palm, or, uh, fanned with palm fronds and you kill one guy and you expect me to worship you? I don't think so. So it continues on, it said, Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. So Moses had a sense that God was working in him, but like many of us, he messed up. He did stuff on his own timetable. He killed that Egyptian thinking that was the right thing to do, and it probably felt really good at the time and in, in his flesh. But it wasn't what God probably wanted him to do. He acted irrationally, impatiently, and anxiously, and he was letting pride lead him. Any results that he probably would have got, if he would have delivered his people at that point, if you think about it, it would have been to Moses' glory, not God's glory. He had all the power at that time, all the network, all the connections. And if he would have delivered his people right then, Moses would have gotten the glory, not God. He was doing things out of his pride, telling his story, but it ultimately was a mess up and a screw up on his, his part. And I had just a baby. I was trying to think of an example. I had a baby experience of this. I didn't kill anybody in the past couple weeks, I promise you. Um, But uh, I own a startup company, except that it's a performing arts audition and application process for um, colleges and fine arts programs. And it's been going pretty well these first couple of quarters of this year. So we've been getting some awesome uh, clients. We've been having some pretty cool strategic partnership opportunities. And things have just been going strong. And historically, I've given all this credit to God. I have no business being successful. Uh, this is my first go-around as an entrepreneur, and I should have failed. I think you fail three to four times at least before you get one right. Um, and most startups in general fail. I think 75 to 80% of startups go down the, the tubes. So I've always given God the credit for the successes of Accepted. And he's opened the doors, and he's done everything. But the past couple weeks, I started to take pride in this success accept- in the successes of my company. And in my heart, I felt that change. And I knew it was a, a subtle change, but I thought that, hey, I'm the man. I did this. This is mine. And I distinctly remember feeling that on a walk a couple of weeks ago. And the next day, my number two employee quit. <laughs> and it was devastating. The person that runs all these contracts, the Juilliard, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, some of our big clients, she was the glue that held everything together and put in her two weeks. And I immediately felt vulnerable. And I felt like I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was weak. And I felt ashamed for even taking responsibility in any of the successes that we were experiencing. I didn't know what the future was going to hold. I no longer felt like I had the answer. That my agenda was flawed. Now looking back, I'm appreciative of that wake-up call. I was going down a path of, I think, pride and glory mongering. And I think God just pulled me back in, gave me a reality check and reminded me that he's in control. And I appreciate that. I think the, the story could go a lot differently if that hadn't happened. So I was reading this excerpt uh, from a, a book called The Life of Moses by a, a guy named F.B. Meyer. Too cool to have his actual name in there. It just goes by F.B. F.B. And this resonated with my story, and I I think uh, he wrote this about Moses. He says this, "Such Such experiences come to us all. We rush forward thinking to carry all before us. We strike a few blows in vain. We are staggered with disappointment and reel back. We're afraid at the first breath of human disapproval. We flee from the scene of our discomfort to hide ourselves in Chagrin. Then we are hidden in the secret of God's presence from the pride of man. And there our vision clears, the silt drops from the current of our life, our self life dies down, our spirit drinks of the river of God, which is full of water, our faith begins to grasp his arm and to be the channel for the manifestation of his power, and thus at last we emerge to be his hands to lead an Exodus. That's comforting to me. And I feel like that's kind of what happened to me and what continues to happen to me. I find my own plans. I I pursue them. I do my own thing. I do what feels right. And then I hide. And that's where God finds me in my humility. That's where he grasps my arm and he leads me to lead others. I was chatting with my friend Matt the other day about this message and was talking to him about it. he said, you know what it sounds like, Don? It sounds like deliverance can't happen until... Deliverance can't happen until you're done with your own agenda. So just like Moses, God often will wait until we're done trying to do things on our own, to be used and bear much fruit. He'll wait till we retreat in that place of humility to use us, where He renews our vision and uses us for His glory. So a couple of applicable points, I think. Number one is doing things on our own, on our own and without God will lead us to failure. In John 15:5 it says I am the vine you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But without me you can do nothing. If we try to do things on our own time because things aren't happening as as quick as they think as we think they should, if we do things because it feels good in our flesh and not in the spirit, we'll be left with a mess on our hands. So my advice is to let us be patient and let us be still. Psalm 46.10 says to be still and know that I am God. Another version says it like this, cease striving and know that I am God. Jeremiah 29.11 says, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. So I pray this for myself and I pray this for you guys. Let's look for him wholeheartedly. Let's be still and let's be patient. And let us come to the realization that his plans for us are better than our plans are for ourselves. Now number two, we're going to mess that up a lot. And again, just because we mess up, it doesn't mean that God's done with us. He can take that awkward note and make a beautiful song out of it. God can take our screw-up, our continual screw-ups, and make a destiny out of it. So we know the rest of, of Moses' story. I was going to slap you on the butt. Sorry. Um, God ultimately uses Moses to deliver his people from Israel, right? He meets God in a burning bush. He parts the Red Sea. He delivers the Ten Commandments. And he becomes that giant that he was destined to be. But before that he did that, he spent 40 years in the desert. He was probably thinking that he was a failure. I was reading one story about him that said when he retreated to the desert, he could probably see Egypt still. He could probably see the lights of the city. And he might have heard the groans of the Hebrew people. And I cannot imagine being set up for such a story in my life um, and with such promise of, of greatness and leadership to ultimately retreat to the desert. And he didn't spend a week there. He didn't spend a couple months there. He spent 40 years in the desert. And he thought he was a failure, I bet. He probably thought that God can't use me anymore. That I acted irrationally. I sinned. And he passed, God passed me by, and he's going to use somebody else. D.L. Moodley, a famous evangelist and writer, summarizes Moses like this. He says, Moses spent his first 40 years in the desert thinking he was a somebody. He spent his second 40 years in the desert learning that he was a nobody, and he spent his last 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. So God put Moses through 40 years in the desert so he could turn around and lead his people through another 40 years in the desert. Do you think he could have done that when he killed that Egyptian? Do you think that could have happened at that time? I don't think it could have. I think he would have been complaining that nobody's feeding him grapes, Nobody's fanning him with palm fronds. He needed to experience 40 years in the desert himself to be able to lead his people through. So here's the deal. We're going to mess up and we're going to experience times in the wilderness. It might be a day, it might be a month, it might be 40 years. And Maybe God's waiting for you to abandon your own agenda. Maybe he's preparing you for something greater, but he is doing a great work in you. His plans are greater than your plans are for yourself. Plans for good and not for disaster. So, one of my mentors when I was younger described messing up or screw-ups as a sad or awkward musical note. That when you play it by itself, it does sound bad. But when you give it to God, I, I picture God like this great jazz improv master. He can take that note no matter what it is and weave it into his beautiful symphony. And for us not to know the difference, for us to think it always belonged there. And then it makes that, makes that song that much richer and that much deeper. So I asked Cody to come up here and kind of visualize that for us. What does it look like to have a sad note or an awkward note and kind of incorporate that into a beautiful song? So when Don asked me to do this, there were a couple examples I thought of, but the one that really came to mind was using what's called a major sixth. Now, I'm no music theory genius, so I don't really understand why it's awesome, but it sounds really cool. So right now I'm in the key of F, which is... And this note sounds horrible. That's that's terrible. Because mm-hmm. that's supposed to be a minor sixth. That chord. But when you go back into the key of F. And then you go major sixth. With that horrible note. It still sounds beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'd, my thought for you guys or a good exercise would just be what is a screw up? Where do you think you've screwed up too much? Where do you think you've messed up? I'd love for you to associate with that note. Can you just play that ugly note? Yeah, real ugly. <laughs> you feeling it? You're associating that screw up with, with Cody's note? Now just let him, let's, let's listen to him, putting it in that song. Ooh, that's an ugly one too. Ready mm. to make that song ugly. That was a good example. It makes your songs uglier. See, I can't tell, I can't tell that there was an ugly note in there and it sounds beautiful to me. I think that's how God's writing our song that we have these mess-ups and then we have these screw-ups and then we can just present these notes to God and say, these sound ugly and you probably can't do anything with them. You probably can't do anything with me. And God just grabs them and says, no, I can make beautiful music out of that. I can add that to my symphony. And I just it just makes me in awe of him. So basically, here's what I want you to hear. We're all damaged goods and God rescued us and redeemed us through Jesus. And by the way, Jesus set a similar tone as Moses. Moses had to go through and he had to come off of his high horse in order to lead his people. And that's the same thing that Jesus did. He didn't lead, he didn't deliver us out of his palaces of glory and off of the throne. He came down to meet us and delivered us from a humble place. So don't you think it makes sense? And it makes sense to me that that's how God wants to interact with us and that's how he wants to meet us. I think he wants us to come off of our throne, come off of our place of pride, and meet him in humility. So by Jesus coming down, he saved us from hell. And he also saved us, saved us from a meaningless life full of standalone sad notes, regret, sorrow, and helplessness. So if you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus, I, uh, I urge you to do so. I urge you to accept the promises that he made Abraham. And that he ultimately fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And we know the verse, John 3, 16. I'm going to read it to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that he, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. All he says is believes. He doesn't say believe and never have messed up before. He doesn't say believe and will never mess up again. He just says believes. He didn't come to condemn the world. If you follow that to Verse 317, he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. Remember that God's plans are greater than our plans. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. His ways are greater than our ways. So I'm asking you, will you let God write your song? Will you give him your notes? Will you let him make beautiful music out of it? And if you're thinking today, I'm not ready for that. I'm still screw up. I want to clean myself up first. Then I think you've missed the point of the message. That's not where God wants to meet you. He wants to meet you in the low place. He wants to meet you away from the pride of man. He wants to allow that silt to settle from the stream of your life. So I'm going to pray for us. And I'm just I, I'm going to pray what I think is considered a sinner's prayer. If you haven't accepted Jesus, I'm going to pray this. I, can, I pray this all the time. So I just want you to agree with me. And if you are a believer, you can believe, agree with me as well. And just rem, let's remind ourselves what God has done for us, what he wants to do for us, how he wants to make our story great. I hope we can submit to that. So join me in prayer. God, I screw up and I've continued to screw up. And I believe that's sin. And I want to step away from that, Lord. I want you to be in charge of my life. I believe in the promises that you've made Abraham. I believe in the promises that you fulfilled through Jesus. That he died for me. And that he wants to offer me eternal life, God. And I want to accept that. And I just want to relinquish my story and my agenda to you, Father. I admit that it's flawed. And I believe the promise that your ways are better than my ways, that you have a great plan for me, God. And I want to accept that. So God, I just ask that you straighten our paths and that you remind us where we have messed up and where we screwed up. And help us listen to your song. Help us understand where it's going What you want to do with us and how you can potentially make a destiny out of our screw-ups and how you can straighten our path to allow us to rely on you. And I pray that you make our hearts sensitive to that today and for the rest of this week and the rest of our lives. We love you, God. Amen. All right. Cool. Well, if you prayed that prayer and that was the first time you prayed it today, that's awesome. All you need to do is tell somebody about it. Romans 10:9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you're saved. So, if you pray that today, welcome. Tell me, tell Mark, go home and call your mom and just take pride in that answer and that decision that you made and let that be outward evidence to the inward decision that you made today. That's it. I don't. Is there some cool transition we should do? Can you walk me off the stage in like a very <laughs> powerful way? Uh, we didn't rehearse this. No. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>